Welcome to episode 6 of Madashiro. Thank you for tuning in. I hope that everyone is doing good, keeping safe, and yeah, generally just coping and maybe even thriving. Um, thank you for joining me. Today we will continue to explore the events surrounding the murder of Britain, Julie Ward in Kenya. Um, this will be the last or the final part of that story and before we get into it I would like to highlight news that broke on mainstream Kenyan media on the 19th of March 2021 this is something that's been weighing heavily on me and I don't feel right continuing with this episode before I talk about this so the news reports were of the murder of a young Kenyan woman by the name Velvin Nongari Kenyanjui. 13 days before she died, 13 days before she died, Velvin Nongari had been found in a really bad way by friends, reportedly in pain, naked, and upside down in a hotel room in Kahawa West in Nairobi. It turned out that she had been raped and her spine broken. And she succumbed to her injuries at a hospital in Nairobi after almost two weeks. The case is under investigation by the Directorate of Criminal Investigation in Nairobi, who have already shared a number of facts about the case. There was a suspect in custody as well as suspicion expressed by the authorities that he might not have acted alone. What is reported about the suspect is that he's alleged to have met Velvin at her place of work. And the day before she died, they had spent a part of the night together, meaning he had been with her in the hotel room where she had been found before leaving under what seemed to be unclear circumstances. There's actually CCTV footage showing them at the lobby of the hotel before they went to the room. And there's something very disturbing about that video, the way that he's looking at her. There's just something off about that body language. And the DCI in Nairobi, the Directorate of Criminal Investigation, report that she had no memory of the night before they checked into their hotel room they had been at another restaurant in nairobi and had food and drinks and the directorate of criminal investigations reports that this is the last thing that velvin remembers these events are heartbreaking someone or some people really made this poor young woman suffer before they eventually killed her it's a reminder that sexual and gender-based violence is a very real and present threat in Kenya. Rest in peace, Vesh. I hope there will eventually be justice. Okay, let's, um, let's talk about Julie Ward. 
um, after my first episode about Julie Ward, I had some very constructive feedback and I have been mulling over it and trying to work out how to apply it in this next episode. And um, first I want to say thank you um, for the feedback. You know yourself. And um, the next thing is, I want to be really open about this. <laughs> I had a lot of trouble relating to Julie Ward. Something that I didn't experience while conceptualizing the other episodes about Captain Angaine and um, Lucy Kafura and Monica Jerry. This episode was difficult. And I really had to think about why. I thought at first it's because Julie Ward is Amzungu. She comes from a different part of the world. She grew up very different than what I know. She grew up very different from what I know. Um, she has foreign motivations for being in Kenya. And I don't know, I had trouble putting myself in the shoes of a rich British tourist, to put it simply. And this is something that I didn't have trouble with with the other episodes. I could be able to relate to those other women and their motivations and even if our lives are different there was just um sort of more of an there was sort of more of an organic connection with them that i didn't feel in the beginning with julie ward um here's the thing though julie ward was a young woman brutally killed in kenya and Brutal murders of young women is unfortunately not an uncommon story. And what's even worse about this, um, about Julie Ward, is that her murder seems to have been under-investigated and the case is unresolved to date. And when I think about this, I start to feel some type of way. So today I just wanted to talk candidly openly about Julie Ward and share a little more informally a little more intimately the things that I have uncovered about her life and her murder and um, yeah so this episode I think <laughs> I think is going to turn out a bit different than the others um, the first part I want to start with and a lot of this, um, this, let me first open it. Where is it? Julie Ward, ooh, 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 the thesis. Where is it? Oh, here it is. So, um, the first thing I want to start with is a little background about her life and, um, about her, not really background, um, as such, but like who she was at the time when she was in Kenya and and a lot of this information um, actual real facts about her trip to Kenya and the people that she met and you know how she eventually um, traveled to the Masai Mara a lot of this information I got from reading the thesis of Dr. Grace Ahingula Musila 
um, Dr. Grace Musila's thesis um, was titled Kenyan and British Social Imaginaries on Julie Ward's Death in Kenya. And it is a brilliant, brilliant um, piece of <laughs> history. And um, I would recommend, I, I've put, um, I mean, it's easy to find online. It's, it's published and online, and I think it's being hosted by Wits, Wits, the University of Witwatersrand in South Africa. So you can find, you can find it online, the thesis. I would highly recommend anyone who's interested in doing a deep dive to read this because it's just the, what is it called? <laughs> what can I call it? It is a very incisive look at Kenya at a particular time. And yeah, it's just an invaluable piece of information, provides such insight to this case. And a lot of this information is actually derived uh, from there. So we do know that Julie Ward was 28 years old when she came to Kenya. And she had come to Kenya at the end of a trip that had taken her and other British tourists throughout Africa. And there are actually three books that have been written about the murder of Julie Ward. One was by her father, John Ward, and then there are two others by two other authors. And one of the books has actually sp spoken extensively about um, the trip before the group arrived in Kenya. But we do know that she arrived in Kenya in September of 1988. And hang on. Oh, she arrived in June. Okay, okay, okay. So she arrived in Nairobi in June of 1988. She came into Kenya and managed to make the acquaintance of a couple um, who lived in Langata. The couple um, names, hmm. the couple, Paul and Natasha Weld Dixon, hosted Julie Ward at their home. She camped on their property before she eventually found a place in the neighborhood to rent. And it's from there that she made the trip to Masai Mara. Um, from Dr. Musila's thesis, we also see that the trip initially comprised a larger group, the trip to the Masai Mara that is, had initially been planned for a larger group, but there were a number of people who couldn't make the trip. And it ended up being Julie Ward and Glenn Burns who traveled to the Masai Mara. And we also know that they arrived. And then the following day, while they were driving through the park, their car broke down. So they arrived on a Friday. It was the 2nd of September, 1988. They set up camp at a place called the Sand River Campground in the Masai Mara. So Julie Ward had come to the Masai Mara to photograph the wildebeest migration and it had been and it had been part of the plan from the very beginning of the trip. And the following day on the 3rd of September, they went for a drive within the National Reserve. They went for a drive within the reserve, but unfortunately the car they were driving broke down. 
it broke down near um, a hotel known as the Mara Serena Lodge and they found someone to tow them there and the person also lent them a tent to spend the night because remember they had already set up a camp somewhere else but couldn't return without um, their car and it turns out that the following day Sunday was to be their departure date um, the following day on Sunday was to be their departure date but with their car still broken down it was not possible for them to both leave but it's reported that Dr. Burns had an appointment or an engagement in Nairobi and he had to leave so he left Julie Ward in the Masai Mara and traveled back to Nairobi and while in Nairobi he managed to contact he managed to contact the Weld Dixons Julie's friends uh, from Langata and Paul Weld Dixon was able to buy a replacement spare part that was required to repair the car and he managed to charter a flight or to send it to Julie Ward to the Mara on a chartered flight and the spare part which was a fuel pump arrived on Monday but it wasn't until the following day Tuesday that the spare part was put in the car and the car was finally fixed and ready to go this is Tuesday September 6th and at about midday Julie Ward left the Serena Lodge where she had been staying after the car broke down she left with the car now repaired and good to go and she was headed for the Sand River campground where um, she and Dr. Burns had set up camp on Friday and she was going to pick up the tents that um, they had left there and it's from this point that it seems that her movements are a bit hazy so this is according to the clerk at the Masai Mara Sand River Gate his name is David Nchoko and he will feature again a bit later but David Nchoko uh, reported that Julie Ward arrived at the campsite at about 2 p.m. and she managed to break up the tents and she was actually assisted by a police constable who also corroborated Nchoko's testimony and said that Julie Ward had been there at about 2 p.m. and at about 2:30 p.m. she was done dismantling their camp and paying outstanding fees and everything and she picked up her tent and picked up everything and she left ostensibly heading to Nairobi this is about 2:30 p.m. on Tuesday the 6th of September in 1988 and it is reported by the two witnesses that she drove away alone and this is the last time that she was seen alive now back in Nairobi Julie Ward's friends the Weld Dixons they are aware of her plans they know that she had prepared to return to England on September the 10th in fact they had made plans with her to have dinner the night before and then drop her off at the airport to head home but when they heard nothing from her on Tuesday 
they began to get worried and they are actually the ones who raised the alarm about her being missing and on the 10th of September Julie Ward's father calls the Weld Dixons from England and he too learns that she has actually been missing for a few days and he gets himself organized comes to Nairobi and hustles together a search party that even includes aircraft it was no small feat and the search party heads to the mara and we do know that a week later Julie Ward's jeep was found in a dried gully it had a crudely marked SOS on the roof and then about a few hours later Julie Ward's remains were found in a smoldering campfire that also contained money and film canisters and unfortunately there wasn't much left of her body just a burned leg and a jawbone but they were enough to identify the remains as belonging to Julie Ward and up to there i guess these are the facts of the case that are known to date um as they have been reported and from there things get a bit strange initial investigations the police authorities tried to tell john ward that um his daughter's death was the result of wild animals um a wild animal attack or being struck by lightning these were the strange theories put forward but it was clear that there was foul play going on and there has been this there has been this constant theme of reluctance to investigate the murder of Julie Ward and at the time um John Ward reported that there was a cover up going on and that um Kenyan authorities did not want the information to leak out that a tourist had been murdered at the Mara because this could hurt tourism which is a big um income earner f- for Kenya even up to date so there was that and then later there began to be rumors emerging that the cover up was because there was a prominent individual that was linked to the president perhaps um these are all allegations none of it has been proven in a court of law but there began to be theories put forward that the reason that the, there was reluctance to investigate was because there was a prominent person being protected by the government of the day and it was the government of the late president daniel arap moi and there are facts there are things that do indicate that there was reluctance to investigate first of all so first of all after the kenyan authorities told um john ward that um the death of julie ward had either been suicide or an attack by animals or being struck by lightning 
there was no further investigation done there was no investigation into the authorities did not believe that it had been a murder and thus there was no reason to investigate further um and it is then that john ward it is then that john ward bankrolled an initial forensic investigation and he presented his findings to the relevant legal authorities in the country and he was supported by local diplomats and politicians who were sympathetic to his case and eventually in 1989 this is a year after the death of julie ward there was an inquest by the kenyan government that eventually concluded that the death of julie ward had been a murder but it would be years yet before any trial would be done and this sort of snail's pace of investigation and trial and it's it's dogged the case from the very beginning and and it's easy to relate to the frustration expressed by the family of Julie Ward especially by her father John Ward who has made numerous trips to Kenya and spent millions of pounds um trying to investigate or trying to get to the bottom of his daughter's death and i in the last episode read something that he had written um and this was the night of the day that his daughter's remains were discovered and let me just quickly go through it again um because i want to talk a little about this because i feel like this is very insightful to the state of mind of a man whose daughter has been killed in a foreign land and anyway this is what he said this is what he wrote it's actually from his book i was in the father's room from the lodge restaurant across the large lawn a native show was on that night and drums beat continually dancers with spears and painted faces stamped and pranced to the rhythm out beyond the lights loud across the bush came the sound of animals as they snarled roared and screamed through the darkness to me the sounds were like some primitive prehistoric hell on earth how i loathed that place okay that's the end of 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 that bit that i'm reading and reading this as a kenyan it makes me a bit angry first of all he calls it a native show and then says primitive prehistoric hell on earth but he's describing my country and my home but i can understand where he's coming from i mean i don't i can see where he's coming from he's an englishman he's in africa he's actually getting to see the real africa and face some of the cruelest fates that can befall someone in africa and such a thing has befallen his own daughter so it's not an it's not a stretch to see where he would have come up with something like this yeah i just wanted to talk a bit about that because um yeah i had someone ask me about that like do i think that what he said was racist 
I mean, for sure, there are some racist undertones, let me call them that. But given the circumstances that uh, he's writing this under, um, I, I can say it's it's understandable in a way. Um, but yeah, it has been a frustrating journey for this man and he's now quite old. And if you look um, through Kenyan media um, archives, there, there are even interviews of John Ward as recently as a few years ago and he's still on this quest to look to find justice for his daughter to have the killer named publicly and it's just it's sad that this has never happened you know in 1989 after the inquest uh, determined after the Kenyan inquest determined that her death had been a murder he he had said I want to catch the man who killed her because he must have put that little girl through a, an awful lot of pain and terror before she died. And, you know, his words, you can take them and... you. This is the sentiment he has shared with these words. I'm sure a lot of people feel like this in Kenya. I'm sure this is what the family of Velvin Nungari want. Um, it's not difficult to relate to that sentiment. After the 1989 Kenyan inquest, things moved a little slowly, but in 1992, there was a trial. Um, two junior wardens from the Masai Mara Reserve by the name of Peter Kipin and John Magiroi were tried and subsequently acquitted. And seven years later, the chief warden of the game reserve, Simon Makala, was also tried and subsequently acquitted. And that is the sum total of trials that there have been um, for the murder of Julie Ward. Another thing I would like to discuss in this episode is because this case has been unsolved, there have been a number of theories and rumors that have come up that because there has been no trial in which the killer or killers have been identified, a lot of these rumors and theories are unconfirmed. And I wanted to discuss rumor as part of public narrative in Kenya. There are a number of rumors, and I'm sure some of them are in the public domain to the extent that this is what is known by a lot of people as what happened um, to Julie Ward. Um, let me start with the biggest one. Um, this one, I think the place that I read about it officially, there's this publication um, in... Nairobi called the Nairobi Law Monthly and they have an article from an issue in 2012 and I cannot find an online copy but I actually remember in 2012 reading a physical copy of this publication and it's alleged to be authored by John Ward and in the article he wrote that 
a son of a former president of Kenya was involved in the killing of Julie Ward. And that same individual is also spoken about in an article by The Mirror from August 2020. And in it, John Ward alleges to have an it, a witness that placed the suspect within the game reserve at the same time as his daughter was. And I think related to this theory or rumor, I found two other articles. One is by The Independent and the other is by The Telegraph and they are both British or English publications. This new information came from a man called Valentine Kodipo and he was a former Kenyan policeman who was in exile in a Scandinavian country and he had been interviewed by a local newspaper in Kenya. And he claimed that while on patrol within the game reserve in September of 1988, he came across Julie Ward, semi-naked, bound and gagged in the back of a van. And he reported that allegedly she was taken out of the vehicle, assaulted and then bludgeoned to death and he says among the people involved in this were a senior police officer and a leading politician and the exiled former policeman is said to have identified most of the alleged participants by name and the reason that he gave for her being executed was he believes that she had stumbled across a secret training camp or had been a witness of a drugs transaction within the game reserve. I will not call this a rumor because it's actually um, reported by several newspapers. It's, I think, what can at best be called a theory at this point because it doesn't look like there has been a trial emerging from all this evidence but this is huge this is huge um this former kenyan policeman actually says that he witnessed julie ward being gang raped and then beaten to death by three men on the masai mara game reserve this evidence came in 2004 16 years after the murder the evidence came at a point where there had already been the two trials um, in which the suspects have had been acquitted of the murder. I think this is the final thing I want to talk about these trials, is that during the course of the trial, a number of witnesses were found to have lied. And initially, it was thought to be that because they lied, they were lying to cover up their involvement. But as it turned out, and this is... Um, spoken of very well and very extensively in Dr. Musila's thesis is the reasons for the lies were seen to be you know somewhat trivial not really trivial but it turned out that the people were not lying to cover up their involvement in the case they were either lying to cover up some kind of job incompetency so for example David Nchoko, who was the clerk at the Sand River campground, 
at the gate, he's found to have forged Julie Ward's entry into the book, into the guest book. And it turned out that he did this because he had actually forgotten to give her the book to sign out or sign in when she came. And he had to forge her signature. And anybody familiar with the Kenyan situation, like this would not be an unusual thing. But I can see from an outside eye or a foreign eye or someone from a different environment might not be able to understand that. But I can see why he would lie to kind of protect his job because he made a mistake. And Makala, he had also been found to have lied because Julie Ward's Jeep was found in a place um, where Julie Ward's Jeep had been found, where her car had been found. It was said that it had to have been driven there. And Makala had said he couldn't have been the one who drove it because he couldn't drive. But it later emerged that he actually could drive. He actually drove John Ward himself. He drove him at some point um, within the course of John Ward's time in the Mara. So he was surprised when Makala lied in court about not being able to drive. But the reason that he lied was because officially he didn't have a driver's license. And so his official duties could not have him driving a car, although he did this. And again, if you are familiar with the Kenyan situation, you can see how this kind of thing can happen and how he might want to cover this up um, so that it's not found out and it could jeopardize his work and his job. And I'm not here trying to defend people that I think that did something wrong. Um, I'm just saying that I can see how a lie doesn't necessarily mean that they were involved. There could be other reasons and simpler explanations for it. But um, that's the situation. Another thing that I wanted to talk about, one final thing, this is the final, final thing, is Julie Ward's autopsy. So initially, when her autopsy was done, it was done by a man named, let me find his name, Dr. Adel Shaker. Dr. Adel Shaker and he was a pathologist for the Kenyan government in the, at the time. And his, his initial conclusion was that Julie Ward's leg and jaw had been cut clean, indicating that she had been murdered, that somebody had been involved in this and had made those clean cuts on her bones. But he later said, that his boss, by the name of, his boss's name was Jason Ndaka Kaviti, another pathologist who was actually the chief government pathologist. Dr. Jason Kaviti had altered Dr. Shaker's report to indicate that the bones had been torn and cracked, and he changed anything that indicated clean cuts or sharp injuries, he changed it to look like blunt injuries 
suggesting that Julie Ward had been killed by wild animals. And this supported the theory that was initially peddled by Kenyan authorities. And Dr. Shaker actually had to leave the country. He fled Kenya fearing uh, for his life, but later he made a statement to police in England and that's when he revealed all this. And this only adds to the growing body of evidence that indicates that there had been a cover-up by the Kenyan government and a reluctance to investigate to find the true cause of the death of Julie Ward. Dr. Jason Kaviti, the, G- the chief government pathologist, He was in the limelight again a number of years after the death of Julie Ward, actually just two years after the death of Julie Ward, when he appeared before the Commission of Inquiry investigating the murder of popular foreign affairs minister, Dr. Robert Ouko. Dr. Ouko was murdered in 1990 and initially, Dr. Kaviti had told the Commission of Inquiry that it wasn't a murder, that in fact Dr. Ouko had shot himself in the head before dousing his body with petrol and setting himself on fire. And unfortunately, this was the legacy of the then chief government pathologist who There is evidence to suggest was a rather intelligent man, but he seems to have been, I don't know, I don't know playing for what team, I don't know playing for which team in these two cases because he presented what can best be described as bizarre theories, bizarre non-scientific theories not consistent with the evidence before him, the evidence that their bodies presented. Anyway, where we are in 2021 with the death of Julie Ward, the case is still a cold case. It is perhaps still under investigation, but We still do not know who was responsible for the murder of Julie Ward. We now know, as has been proven by two inquests, in addition to the Kenyan inquest, there was a British inquest that also ruled that there was foul play in the death of Julie Ward. But despite all that, More than three decades later, the death of Julie Ward is still unresolved. Her murderers have never been brought to book. It is not known if they are still alive themselves, what their fate was. What's worse is, of all the theories and rumors that have been put forward, we don't know for sure what the truth was. What did she see? Did she see something that caused her to be killed? 
What is clear though is just like her father said someone really made her suffer before she died and I think this is the real tragedy Julianne Ward rest in peace I think I'm going to end the episode there today and um thank you for listening and for coming along on this journey this this hasn't been an easy one but I feel it was necessary to talk about in the next episode well look out for the teaser on the gram until next time take care of yourselves and be kind to yourselves bye